Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm Elena Aguilar, and welcome back to our special series, What to Say When You Hear Something Racist. All right, so in today's episode, I'm joined by my teammate, Leslie Bickford, who is going to share a very personal story about how she responded to the racism that was expressed by her family. As you listen, I want to invite you to think about what you might have done in the situations that she describes. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you some prompts to think about for yourself. So in this episode, we're exploring compassion, curiosity, and drawing boundaries when it comes to witnessing racism. So I want to define compassion before we get started. Compassion is based on the understanding that someone is doing the best they can with what they know and can do. Compassion doesn't mean that you agree with their actions or condone them. And compassion can be a very hard emotion to access, especially when you're witnessing racism. But remember, you can have compassion for someone and understand that they need to do something different. And you can have compassion for someone and not want to be around them. All right, so let's get into this episode. All right, Leslie, welcome back to being a co-host on this podcast series about what to say when you hear something racist. And today's topic of conversation is around compassion, curiosity, and setting boundaries. So we've explored responding to other people's emotions and dealing with defensiveness And we've looked at different things you can say. And as we move now towards wrapping up this series, I want to just explore this question with you about how can you have compassion or empathy for people who hold racist beliefs and say racist things and maybe they get defensive, maybe they have some moments of awareness and insight. How do you manage to stay in a place of empathy, curiosity, and then how and when do you draw boundaries around what they're saying or being with them? So I would just leave it really open and see what that raises for you to start with. Uh, I think this is the hard stuff because what is inherent in a lot of that is the relationship, right? It isn't just what they're saying. It's putting a real emphasis, especially when it gets to boundaries and drawing those. I I start thinking a lot about the relationships that require those and that gets more into the personal sphere. And that is really hard for a lot of people. There's just so much that starts getting layered on to these conversations, especially when we start thinking about family and chosen family and depth of relationships and layers of things that make this really challenging for people to navigate. Are there any experiences from your life or anecdotes that you'd be willing to share to illustrate how you have navigated these kinds of situations? Yeah. So I will take you back 20 years ago, the summer between my first and second year teaching. And if you listen to an earlier episode, I had taught in Philadelphia I was originally from Oregon. I had returned to Oregon for the summer on a trip to visit my more extended family. We always did this rafting trip down the Rogue River, if anyone is from that part of Oregon. 
and we were out on the rafts that day and my uncle who was there got into a conversation. There were probably 12 of us who were out and he used the N word and he was a sheriff's deputy and was just flinging it around talking about black people. And I was irate. I mentioned earlier, if you listened to an early episode, my default mode is fight. And I just went off on him about being racist, about how disgusting that was, about how just horrible it felt to hear him say that, knowing that he could have been talking about my kids, their families. You know, I was just so mad. And my aunt, who had always been one of my just absolute favorite people in the world, one of the very few people I've always been able to count on, kind of intervened and said to my uncle, don't use that word when Leslie's around. You have to be more PC around her. Mm. That was the response. Mm. And I was just so pissed. And my now husband, who I was just dating at the time, was there. And we were in smaller, single-person kayaks. And I was like, I'm done with this. And we just went down the river and kind of separated from the rest of the group. And I was just angry. <laughs> the, the rest of the trip was only like another day after that. But I was just pissed. I was yelling at everybody. That was it. I had decided that those people were dead to me and I was done with them. Mm-hmm. So that had been where that landed. And I really separated myself out from my family at that time. I had the, the closest thing I could describe him as like a cousin who died a year afterwards. And I went back to that same town for his funeral. And there was a, a real clear division between us. It was very much like Leslie thinks she's so this now. And a lot of that came with having a little bit of money just from having a job. I was not wealthy. I was a first year teacher, but it was different because the rest of my family, we were all just in one little trailer getting ready for this funeral. And it was a big divide. And I remember coming back and talking to my husband and trying to process through this, their racism and this difference and just my real struggles. And I remember him saying to me at the time, being white doesn't mean the same thing to you as it means to them. Mm -hmm. And this hold on power, that's all they have. They don't have any other kind of privilege. They just have the power that they get from being white and that giving them the supremacy. And that was this reckoning that I was going through. But I just kind of broke off from the rest of my family at that point. I still have my mom and my sister and they and the rest of my family would gather. They would still continue to have these annual trips and I didn't go. My grandpa died. I didn't go back. I was just done. I had written them off and there was a moment where I had gone home and one of my cousins from that same town who had kind of been in the group that I had written off was there. And she said something that I would just describe just ignorant, not hateful, not willfully like intention, but just ignorant. And I called her out and she responded with, Oh, tell me more, just open. Hmm. And I remember having that moment where I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) This is this person who I had this relationship with who was raising white boys in a very rural conservative town. It was her dad who had used the N word, all of these Mm -hmm. things that I had just written off and left that power and that ability to influence and have an impact and do something productive with out of my righteous rage and anger. So it was that moment where I was like, oh, okay, I actually want to see 
what's possible here and re-engage. Mm-hmm. And then I came across coaching and started learning these skills and was like, oh, there's actually a way to show up in the world. I had gone through many years now where I was in the, I will fight you. I will tell you that you're wrong. I will tell you that you're a racist. I will tell you you have to do better. Just like the berating um, approach. And I had just had enough experience of that where that didn't work. If that worked, I think I just would have kept on doing it, but it just didn't work. And I was so tired and so sad and just so losing hope that when I came across this, like, oh, there's a different way that you can be, you can show up with compassion and curiosity. And if, especially if you have these ties with people, maybe that's actually enough that you can do something and have an impact. And so I had made this decision that I was going to re-engage and I was going to see what was possible and take that as the work that I had to do. That is when I really pivoted where I still was working in communities of color. And that is still where we were committed to putting our financial resources and thinking about redistributing wealth. But where I thought about this really profound impact that I could have, it was working with other white people and especially the people that I already had some kind of connection to. That was my work to do. So I started to re-engage. Fast forward several years with that same aunt who had been one of my favorite people in the world. And she lives in this little town that's really isolated. She hasn't been highly educated. She's lived in this town for decades and she's already had underlying racist beliefs. She grew up in Texas at a time where there was a, a lot of segregation. She's never had meaningful relationships with people that weren't white people. And she injured herself. So she's pretty much homebound and went down the Facebook spiral that led to her being like a full on QAnoner. Mm. And her only worldview is composed by what she hears on Facebook and this spiral that has just been very intentionally. I mean, I think that Facebook is probably the single worst thing that is destroying our country at this point. It's just very intentionally, very methodically looping her and other people down these spirals and rabbit holes of hatred Mm. to really corrupt their way of thinking and to keep them trapped on this platform. And she just started getting more extreme and more extreme. And she would post things on Facebook and I am the fighter in my family. Everybody else is like, we're going to stick our head in the sand and we're just going to ignore this. And I decided I'm going to engage. I'm going to try. I have to say something. This woman that I loved so much. I know she loved me. And I, I did, I I would be so thoughtful with how I would respond. You know, I would say, I can imagine that if that was true, you might feel that way, but actually there's this other information. Let me share some of these things with you. And let me talk about my experience in the summer where George Floyd was murdered she would post things about what was happening in Minneapolis. And I would say, I'm in Minneapolis. (laughs) This is my town that you're talking about. I'm experiencing this. I understand that you are being told this. I would hope that that would make you think about this news source in a different way, because let me tell you my experience. And I put a lot of time and energy into doing this over the course of at least a year. And it just didn't matter at that point. Mm-hmm. She was too far gone, but I tried and I tried. And there came a point where I knew it wasn't working. And I enrolled my mom who had always been her favorite and said, I need you to back me up here. I need you to engage in this. I need you to have this conversation. Let's prepare for that conversation. 
And I know that was really scary and hard for her. And she did it. And it ended horribly. Mm. (laughs) She was just too far gone. And I said, okay, now I'm at this point where I'm going to say, okay, do I just like block her and not do anything? I don't get in fights in social media. I don't think it does any good. But I do think about when I say things, who are the other people that would be seeing or experiencing this? And I knew that there were people who were connected enough that would see that and see the only people saying anything were the people who were agreeing with her Mm -hmm. and what that experience would be for them. And so I kept on engaging saying, nope, I'm going to be another voice. And one or two of her friends would like what I said, but it did get to a point where she got so aggressive and just turned so hate fueled and it had consumed so much of my energy and I was emotionally destroyed by it to Mm. the extent where it was detracting from the other things that I could do Mm. that would be impactful. And if I had thought there was any hope or if I could do that and something else, I would have kept doing it. It wasn't just like, oh, that was hard or it was annoying. It was consuming me. And I looked at what I could do and how I could spend my energy and the, the limited amount of time and resources I had to give in the world and realized it wasn't going anywhere. And I did make the decision to just make the hard break. And the last time she said something, I said, this is how I'm receiving it. If this is what you've decided, then I'm going to remember all the love that you gave me and treasure that relationship, but know that that relationship is no longer our relationship. And I'm going to say goodbye. And the response that I got was like, well, sounds like it's over then. And that was the hard line. Wow. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. I feel like I've heard little pieces of it, but not the whole arc. It's really painful, really hard decisions. One of the things that I include in my suggestions around what to say when you hear something racist is what I think about as plan B. Like if you keep hitting all these walls, you're not getting anywhere. Is there someone else who this person might be more receptive to listening to? And when I heard you talk about enrolling your mom, that was like, okay, trying plan B and and that didn't work either. I think that's the heartbreaking moments of when do you recognize you've reached the end of your limit, you've reached what you can do. You've tried everything. And like you said, your energy can be put somewhere else. The other thing that I want to just elevate is what you said about other people observing or listening or reading what these interactions. And I think we so often want to see evidence of our impact in front of us in the moment, ideally. And one of the things I say a lot in coaching is trust the process Someone may not transform in front of you in that conversation in that moment, but you don't know what they're going to be thinking later that night or the next week or a year later. And so I do wonder about what impact you had on the other people who were witnessing these conversations, what impact you had on your mom. But that's really, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. But I do think about to interrupt the foregone conclusion, to interrupt the, oh, everyone thinks this way, or this is the truth, or this isn't a big deal to be like, oh, no, somebody doesn't. And to be willing to be that somebody, but I do think this is so much of holding the compassion and the intentionality and keeping your own emotions in check. Because for me, my current working theory is to be that 
somebody that can interrupt or can potentially impact somebody, I have to be coming to that with a lot of intention and really embodying who I want to be to have the best shot of that. That's where so much of the preparation and being able to step out of my emotions comes into play. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I want to acknowledge all the pain. And I also hear so much thoughtfulness and intention, like you just said, and engagement and willingness to be uncomfortable and willingness to sort of try again and try again and try in a different way. And that's really hard to recognize and to accept those points where you have to step away. But I've been thinking about a few relationships that I stepped away from friendships where I just felt like I can't hear this anymore. And in my reflection, now I recognize there's so many more things I could have said and done that I didn't. And that's part of that reckoning with your own history and sort of the guilt and forgiving yourself. And I feel like, yeah, why did I just give up so quickly or get so frustrated so fast? But it's a hard choice. I hear also in your description of your aunt, the acknowledgement of the context that she's in, both her personal context and geographic and Facebook and what that's doing. And that's part of the matrix of decision-making around where is this person at? What's possible? Yeah. And I think about where I choose to engage. I've tried to make this flow chart before when it's worth saying something. And the first thing is always like, is somebody actually being actively impacted by this right now? Is this being directed to somebody? Is immediate harm being done? Obviously, anytime these sentiments are thought or said, there's harm being done. But in those situations, I always need to say something. But when I'm thinking about, do I need to say something now? Do I need to prepare something? Do I need to find somebody else to say something? You know, all of those things. It was like, well, do you matter to them? Is it enough for you to to actually say something and are they open to learning with my aunt? And I think with a lot of people where there's relationships, where there's love or there's history, I'm saying that this isn't okay. And it is hurting. Why is it not enough? And it's shifting to being like, well, it's not about me and me not being enough. It's where they are at and what they are able to do right now. They don't have something to shift into, especially for someone like her, where she has taken on this identity. I'm asking her to drop this entire identity and all of these circles and reinforcing things. And I think that's why I reached out to my mom thinking maybe she'd have a better chance. And one of the questions my mom asked her was, do you ever listen to the other side of things? And she was like, no, there's nothing anyone could ever say ever that would make me change my mind. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, that lays it out for you. So that's the question of what would they need to hear or what would need to be true for them to think differently or do something differently. And sometimes that's clear and you can have a conversation about it. Sometimes it's clear and like her screaming that there's nothing. There's one thing of when do I say something and when do I not say something? When do I keep engaging this conversation? And then I think there's a really hard one where saying, well, I'm not going to keep having this conversation. But I think the part that is scarier to me are the people who say, we're not going to talk about that, but that still lives. We're not going to get into these arguments, but we're still going to be in relationship with each other. Mm. For me, that doesn't work. It mm. either is like, we need to talk about it or we can't be in relationship. And I think that's one of the things that I am continuing to, to struggle with and think about are the relationships where I did the thing, I said the thing, they were very not open to the thing that I said, or they just said, I'm not talking to you about this, shutting it down. And now we're mm-hmm. just going to push it under the rug and pretend that it's not there, but still carry on. Those are the situations that are the big head scratchers for me. Mm. Yeah. 
that's a big one. We need a whole part two to this series. <laughs> it's like a further deconstruction because I feel like the more we dig into this, what to say, the more layers. And then in this case, in this situation, if this is you and this is them, or this is the other person, this is the context, then there's just so much more to peel back. And I also know that just using this framework of the three P's and asking yourself that set of questions will help to give you some direction. Yes. I feel like in this short conversation, your story really opened up these questions about compassion and curiosity and boundaries. So I hope listeners are able to make some connections and draw some ideas for your own contexts. So Leslie, thank you for joining me again and for just sharing your stories and your experiences. I know that it's going to be really helpful to people to hear them. Happy to be here. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I want you to be able to apply your reflections from this story that Leslie shared to your own life. So here are some questions for you to reflect on. And I want to remind you that these will be posted on our Bright Morning Instagram account. So I want you to recall a moment when you heard someone say something racist. What did you know about their context? About where they were raised or where they live? About their proximity to people of color? About their educational experiences? What did you know? The purpose in doing this reflection is to broaden your understanding of this person. Now, Recalling that same moment, what could you get curious about in terms of that person's experience, emotions, mindset, or beliefs? Maybe, for example, if they are dehumanizing someone from a particular ethnicity, you might wonder if they've ever known anyone from that group or what their connection has been with that community. You might wonder about their identity journey and whether they have any marginalized identities. What could you be curious about? And remember, curiosity doesn't mean that you condone what they say or do. You can still believe that they said or did something that was problematic, and you can be curious. All right, finally, third set of questions here. How do you think about drawing boundaries around what someone can say or can't say around you? When have you drawn boundaries? This doesn't have to be specific to racism, but when have you drawn boundaries about what people can say or do around you? When do you wish you had drawn boundaries? And specifically, where are your boundaries? Can you name them? What are your boundaries around what people can say or do around you? Are they around what is said, like the words that are used? Or how many times something is said? Do you excuse someone if they use a racial epithet once or several times or... Or are your boundaries around how people respond to you? And then going forward, what might your boundaries look like 
around being around people who say racist things. All right, those were a lot of questions. I know those were a lot of reflection questions that I hope can support you in exploring compassion, curiosity, and boundaries when you are doing the work to dismantle racism. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I want to ask you if you would share it with someone. And also perhaps hop over to Apple Podcasts if you haven't done this yet. And just take 30 seconds to rate and review us. All right. Thank you, Leslie, for being the podcast producer. And thank you to Stacey Goodman, who does the sound engineering. Take care, everyone. I'll see you next time.